welcome or welcome back to the Thought Pollination Podcast. Today we have Christina with us. Welcome back, Christina. Thank you. Happy to be here. Where did we stay? I know we were talking about quotes and then we, we were going towards the, the after quote life um, mm. and what, what you discovered in that. And the last part you were telling us about the relationship you were in and then you got out um, and we were we were talking a bit about the feeling, like the feeling in your body and yeah, how 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 you felt something was off and how that yeah. subsequently uh, led you to, to take the steps to get out of the relationship. Um, yeah. yeah, so that, that's where we left off and then I had to go. <laughs> um, and once we made the new appointment, you were talking about, you want to talk about self-love and self-relationship um, or being in the right relationship versus codependence. So I think in comparison to where we left off, that's actually a perfect <laughs> direction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Which side do you want to uh, pick up on on that side? What do you want? Yeah. Self-love and self-relationships. Yeah. I mean, I think they both kind of lead into one another. The interesting thing is like, um, and I don't remember how much I shared it in the last episode, but my body was getting louder. And and it's it's one of those things that that was about self-relationship because as I was paying attention to what was happening in my body, I was paying attention to me, right? And I was starting to notice that I was uncomfortable in a way that I hadn't even been capable of before. And I got really, I got really overwhelmed and was having like panic attacks every time I was entering a space that was similar to where I'd been. And, um, you know, that's a sign of like PTSD, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, every time I go here, I'm sick. And I, I want to like, I think it's interesting because like, within our culture we're taught to override those things and we're like it's just feelings like if you know you need to be here you know you need to be here and there's just this override but I actually chose to listen to that whether it was quote-unquote right or not because I was honoring what most of me was saying and I was actually listening to myself so whether I would like eventually go back or eventually find a safer whatever spirituality or you know, go back to church even I had to listen to all of what was saying and I needed space to hear that so that was a huge step for me in self-love and in self-relationship right so in this and I'm trying to imagine the space for some reason that you you were going into but I I, I resonate um with what you were saying that sometimes our feeling is so loud um whether it is you need space or you don't feel comfortable in a certain space um but we are we're taught to push through things mm -hmm. uh, culturally and i think it's almost 
gone global at this point. Uh, um, this is, it's become human culture, right? We have to push through. We have to um, persevere. And, and this is very interesting because I was talking to someone yesterday and you know, I'm organizing something. <laughs> that's the side mm. note. That's the situation we're in. I'm organizing something and this person is helping me. And I'm my approach is we have to invite some people to come on the panel. My mm. approach is very much feeling. Mm. Like, okay, when do I ask this person how to, um, if they want to be on a panel or not? And he's like, no, <laughs> you need to ask right away. And I'm like, they're, they're in a conversation. <laughs> So for some reason, as you were saying that there's about feeling, I went back to this moment yesterday yeah. um, that I, I was very much saying, no, I have to feel what is right, when is the right moment. Um, and that's that was a, a side <laughs> note. <laughs> yesterday, sorry. <laughs> but it is because it has to do with feeling. That's where I, I went. Um, mm. into that and how how does it feel because for me it's like uh, I, I said I have to meditate on it um, mm. I'm curious how that feels for you like in in your body when your body mm. yeah I, I mean I love that you brought this up and I love that you have a recent example of it as well um, it's interesting like I I I think there's an importance to the mind, like obviously, but I think what's happened is we just like completely have overridden everything else for the mind. So like bringing the mind into its rightful place in like all of this is something that's not new. It's ancient, but like it feels new to most of us because it's like we're very out of practice with this. Um, for me, like when I know something, I know it instantly. So I, I have to be like present in my body when someone asks me something and I immediately know the answer. I used to have like a notepad and I still do this. Like if I'm meeting with a new client or a new potential collaborator, they say hi and I write yes or no on a piece of paper. And, and it seems like, wow, you're so judgmental. And I used to judge myself for being judgmental, but it's not that. It's nothing to do with like they're like how they spoke or anything. It's just like this instinct that I'm just like, yes or no. And I've ignored it before and it's been not great. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that. It, it's, you're, you're like, I'm just being, I'm being difficult. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I should give them a chance. I should. Mm. Yeah. 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 You're completely right. And it's, it's funny that you that you actually wrote yes or no. <laughs> I had to like do something to hold my to hold myself accountable to the to the the instant knowing because I know not everyone is like that but for me it's like this the first knowing is the most honest one and then my mind jumps in and is like but you should give them a chance and you should whatever and this is you being judgmental when really like it's just beyond that. And they could be a great person. And on paper, they're a great person. And maybe in real life, they're a great person. But for some reason, this isn't for me. And that's important for me to like know and honor. Otherwise, it just gets 
I just feel it like the entire time. Yeah, it, it sticks. They say someone once told me, but this, this has to is relating to music. They said, um, you know, within the first three seconds, whether you like a song or not. Ooh. I love this game. We do like a, a 15 minute roll with movies and everyone asks me, like I'll watch, we'll watch with our group of friends and they're like, we'll give Christina the 15 minutes and she'll let us know if it's going to be good or bad. <laughs> Sometimes I know before then, but it's always like, they look at me like, what do you think? <laughs> so you're, you watch, you watch 15 minutes of the movie and then you decide if it's going to be <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I watch the trailer and that's enough. But we always give it 15 minutes into the movie and I'm just like, no, y'all, this is not getting any better. <laughs> that, that makes sense. You know, part of me, so I, I, I had a period of um, time that I purposely watched bad movies. <laughs> but I don't know it's bad, but I would just watch it and be like, you know, to appreciate the effort that people put into making it regardless. <laughs> I can I can relate to that. <laughs> but I'm like, this is horrible. That is some bad effects, but I'm watching it anyway. <laughs> There's a beauty to watching things that people create because it is art, whether it's like good art or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Right? Like eh, art. <laughs> yeah. So it's so good. I'm sorry, I keep digressing. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, and, and to just sum up that that part that we were talking about is that we know we we have this innate feeling, but um, through I think conditioning that um, makes you kind of doubt your own intuition. Um, hmm. We start, we start conditioning the intuition before it, it. We kind of like let it play out, just in mm. case <laughs> that feeling was wrong. I think um, mm. sounds like a fear of kind of like I might miss out if I if my feeling was wrong. So maybe let me try it anyway. <laughs> Ooh, I I have a theory on this and like, you know, I don't know anything, but this theory is like, I think that we, I think that we don't trust our intuition because we can't explain it to other people. Um, so if we trust it and it goes wrong, quote unquote, or not well, then we only have ourselves to blame and it doesn't make sense to other people. So there's no logical way. Like our, our cultures are so centric on logic and understanding one another that like on a logical level that we're just like, if we feel like we can explain it away, like, well, it was a good choice because of this and this and this and this, here's the reasons, this and this and this, we feel like we are maintaining some level of safety with the group. But if we choose to trust our intuition and then, you know, something, you know, perceived bad happens then it's just on us and we're like well I trusted my intuition and so it feels really vulnerable because it feels entirely like we actually chose to trust ourselves and, and like believe in ourselves when other people didn't 
And that's a really vulnerable position to be in because we feel like we're completely exposed and like, it's just me. And then there's like all those doubts and all those insecurities because we're focused on logic that come in. Yeah. And then you have to, um, in a way, uh, from you going from your theory in a way, my mind was thinking about then maybe you start doubting yourself because the choice you made was wrong. and then you maybe start giving more more importance to the logic mm -hmm. of other people and you don't trust your own logic anymore. Um, and I, I don't know, what, what are some of the ways that, that one could deal with something like that? Yeah, like I, I feel like, and I wish there was just like a really easy way to do that, but like I really feel like it's like, it's like growing up like and learning to to do anything like it is if we're going to learn to trust ourselves there has to be a space where we can choose and have things not go well and still stay on our side and that's 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 the vulnerability that's the like really like the sticky part of that because like I really think we build self-trust by choosing to trust ourselves on like, you know, at a level that you feel like you have capacity for like a smaller level. And as you build capacity, you can do bigger, whatever that means, like for you levels of, of trusting yourself, but it's so critical and so important that in doing that, you one, don't believe that it's going to like go perfectly. And two, you're committed to believing yourself through the entire process. Even when things go poorly, you're going to be on your own side. You're going to say, like, it's okay. Like, this happened. I believe my own experience of this. I'm learning from this. That's the self-trust that, like, I have yet to meet them. But I believe there's people out there who had, like, a secure childhood and, like, grew up with this, you know? Bad parents who were just like, it's okay. Like, you trusted yourself and then you do it again, you'll try again and you'll figure it out. Like it's the belief that like we are good enough and we will grow and we will learn and we don't need to outsource that. It's like having like a teacher or like a guide who's always like, when you get it wrong, they're not like, well, you should have listened to me. They're like, dig deeper and listen to yourself and let's do this again. You know? The, the, I, there's some very interesting points that you touched on um which is the need for perfection which I, I think is also something that that has become kind of like a cultural thing um I mean, all these things come back to white supremacy i'm just gonna <laughs> say <laughs> well let, let's dig into that in a second <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we're gonna digress again <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, i mean i don't mind like, but I'm like uh, to whoever's listening to this, they're like, why these women cannot finish this <laughs> sentence? Um, but, um, but I just I love it. It's okay. <laughs> but I I wanted to like summarize this part. Um, so I'm actually imagining the uh, the iceberg where. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we don't see, I think it's almost become kind of like a meme when you only see like this part of success and uh, there are things we only highlight. I mean, that's what I want to say. We only highlight the things that go right. Um, and we don't see all of the fails, the attempts underneath that iceberg. And then when you want to try something, the same thing or a similar thing, um, you think, oh, this person, just to take a very simple example, this, this person is great at painting. They must like magically have gotten this skill. Um, I should try it. And then you try your first painting and you feel horribly. Let's <laughs> say, or you just, you know, it's not up to your expectations. You give mm -hmm. up because you didn't see that this person has been practicing since maybe they're eight, eight, year, eight years old. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's the, the obsession with the success, with um, only highlighted that part of the success, with um, perfection and not being allowed to, uh. to be wrong, to fail. Um, and, and the other part that you were mentioning, that it starts from childhood. Uh. Um, that with things like grades, um, that you you know you have to get an A um, for for the Americans and for the Europeans or or for the Dutch, yes, the Europeans they all have <laughs> they all have different systems. Uh, but for the Dutch, we have like from one to ten scales, whatever the scale is in your mm -hmm. country that goes from worst to best, that mm -hmm. you are continuously pushed towards that the best you you have to be the best at everything and anything you do and you don't get to fail you don't get to, to have a, a trial and tribulations <laughs> getting there <laughs> yeah um i think that has a, a hard effect and i think that what it becomes our inner voice later when we grow uh, up and then we still have I think that inner child that wants to try and that wants to explore um that that feels things like like um in the first instance um but that inner child has again been conditioned to to not trust that inner voice so that this other it's almost like you're split into two now. Like there's you that you were born with and there's the you that has been conditioned um, mm. and if continuously polices the other one because that's that's what you know. And as an adult, you kind of become the imposer of all of those things that we've known and, and we kind of push down the inner child. That's why I personally find it very important to kind of like recognize your inner child um, a lot of the work that I've done um, for myself in my healing has been really reconnecting I never let the inner child go that uh, it was always a part an important part for me to, in making my art um, mm -hmm. 
but I did at a certain point notice that I I I have been conditioning myself to to like remove things that I was told was not good about myself, and mm-hmm. essentially that healing has been no, it's it's really okay <laughs> the way I was thinking before and the way I was feeling before, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. That's that's it was trying. It's a long summary of what we were just talking about. No, I love it so much, and I I love where you're how you're describing this because like the the work that I do with my clients is is like about congruence because you were you were talking about these two parts of yourself that are at war with one another, and it's in self relationship working to be in relationship with both of those with compassion is so critical because you your conditioning is there for a reason like not that it's good but it is it is a survive a way you've survived in a system that isn't harmful to you so having a relationship with it without letting it control you having a relationship with your inner child without just doing exactly what your five-year-old inner self wants you to do, like relating to these parts of you, relating to your body in a way that is, is in right relationship, that allows this congruence and allows you to not feel at war with yourself. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's beautiful because I, I call that also my inner peace. Mm. Like I, I lost at some point and I, I I recognize that it's like balancing out and indeed, you know, the five year old doesn't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> there, there there are some reasons why adults um try to teach us some things and mm. I think it's important to know when to take a teaching and when the the teaching is not right for you or not right in general um mm. which now makes me very curious as to the relation with white supremacy <laughs> <laughs> that you were talking about uh earlier yeah yeah i think it um i mean i i see this as like because all the systems that we're talking about like capitalism and we touched on but didn't name uh, colonialism this is um and patriarchy are hierarchical structures so they are they are structures of domination and they've come into to being to prop up white supremacy so there there's which colonized and dominated all the cultures in our world including you know my heritage as well german heritage so there's like this there's this domino effect of, I think, um, shame. And uh, from what our our past has, has happened in our past and, um, and a line of harm, it's like a trauma line. So instead of, instead of knowing how to heal, we continue to dominate other things, dominate other people, dominate other cultures. And so it continues. And I think in on the like body level and um Sonia Renee Taylor discusses this way better than I do obviously but it's 
on an individual level, we do that by dominating our own bodies in order to survive in a culture that tells us that our bodies are not safe, useful, good enough, okay. So, so individually, I think the, the work of coming into relationship with yourself is a fight against white supremacy because you are, you are learning to relate instead of to dominate Mm-hmm. at the at the most like individual level and it needs to be individual and collective obviously this is not something we do in a silo because otherwise we're just you know propping up white supremacy in a different way but i think it's really powerful because it is ultimately it's taking that hierarchical structure and and leveling it out and saying we are actually in relationship one is not better than the other and that that although is not new is is not how we were raised so it is like a coming back home and it is also like we feel awkward in it because we're not practiced at it yeah 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 i, I can i completely see that and, and understand that in that sense and i'm reminded of a lot of um the colonial work that is actually going on um and indeed relating to our, ourselves our bodies um the effect that that the systems have on us um and i, I think also the generational so you're saying the trauma is generational being passed down and i think maybe the same as you have um, something called post-traumatic slave syndrome yeah. uh, i i would think there would be a similar equivalent for people in the in let's say the white lineage, um, where some doesn't in, even uh, understand that the the effects of the systems that were put in place by their ancestors, um, how that's currently affecting us. Um, mm-hmm. Um, especially being someone that works in the development sector, I see people st- still with a lot of white savior sy- syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. If not that, then they don't, um, they've never realized or contemplated um, that the, the way of living uh, currently in the West, why the West has so many riches and so many advances. Um, mm. Technologically or economically, whatever, mm-hmm. that a lot of it are because of these systems that are mm-hmm. in place and basically um, unfairly affecting the the global south. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that I'm very much agreeing with you that it is individual um, level because the information is there for them to find out that this, this is in fact, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Um, but also collectively that people that have already this awareness, um, say, well, okay, we have this awareness. We've done some work, um, individually in, in healing our own, um, whatever effect it, it has had on us and we now has have this understanding of the interconnectedness of all of it and mm. we see that there are 
people um, still lacking is this understanding. Um, mm. And we will then go at and try to bring awareness to them. Though so I think, I, or yeah, I think or I feel that how how do we reach everyone is my question. <laughs> Is this possible? <laughs> it's not possible. That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't want to say it. So, negatively. <laughs> is it possible that we reach everyone mm. and have, like, I don't know, collective, a big collective healing? Um, mm. Yeah. I, I have some thoughts about this, um, mainly because, like, I mean, I was raised to be a white savior like I had dreams about like dying for you know people of color to know the gospel of you know white Jesus like that's how I was raised so I I have come from that background and am guilty of perpetuating a lot of this in my lifetime um and one thing that I've noticed and I I really think is critical in the healing of this because it has been in mine and so many people that I've talked with is actually like knowing how to be with shame and, and stepping out of a shame cycle. Because I think like the awareness, like you said, has come more prevalent. Um, but what happened was a lot of us, especially white women, we took that, I'm just going to use a collective we, we took that and stayed in a shame cycle. So instead did this like, oh no, I feel shame because I've perpetuated this. And then I operate and like do things out of guilt, which is actually just like tokenism or white saviorism, or like, it's actually not in relationship because I did like, collectively, we don't know how to be with the feelings of like, this has happened. And I, I really think that like on a global level, there's most of us don't know how to be with having caused harm at all. Like we're not taught how to be with like, I made a mistake and then not make it about us being okay and good because there's shame there. Because in a healthy state, it's like, you cause harm and then you're like oh I caused harm like I'm so sorry but then I do some work and I'm like okay like I, I want to learn from this and I don't make it about but I'm a good person and I do good things and like I'm not really like that and I'm not really like them like it just becomes like a whole defense because because we don't know how to be with that like piece of I'm not perfect yeah, yeah. And that's and that's okay because not being perfect is not okay. So in when my perfection comes into any sort of like question, my intention is to just defend it instead of actually being like, no, that's okay. Like I'm human, and that's another piece of white saviorism that I or uh, white supremacy that I think is holding that in place because it's. And I think again, I think this is so why so important to be in relationship with yourself because as you grow capacity as you heal and you're able to be with I have caused harm you're able to be with that without making it about you and without making you need to be perfect and to defend yourself it just is you're you're doing that in relationship with yourself and you're saying like 
I yelled at my kid. That's so sad. Like, I'm so sorry. And I don't need to make my kid make me feel better about it. Mm -hmm. But but that's like with your inner child, with the other pieces of you, if you can be in relationship with those, then you have greater capacity to be in relationship with, you know, my ancestors have done some really shitty things. I'm not like, but I'm a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's my theory. (laughs) And I think that's important because that that. And as you said, the shame that my ancestors did horrific things, and um, to like as as a, a person, obviously I have color. <laughs> uh, uh, like that, that they they almost want to apologize, or or they either want to apologize for it, or. They want to say, but it wasn't me. And I'm like, I, I know it wasn't you. <laughs> no, not you personally. I know that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's, it's indeed important to be able to, to say, whoa, that's horrific. Or even, whoa, I, I can't comprehend um, what was even in their minds to, to be able to, to do such a thing. Um, of course, I, I, I get that. And um but the, the defending it, um, yeah, it's a one thing that came to mind as you were naming the different ways um that uh I say white people defend this is uh my favorite one. But I have a I have a black friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a partner even. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've had this thing uh, with with the, the Dutch because yeah my my relationship of colonialism is with the Dutch as we are still a Dutch colony the island that I'm from um, even though some people want to argue that it's territory but <laughs> potato potato for me you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I've had um, teachers of mine and very nice teachers that I, I love dearly but there's this thing where they went oh but you're Dutch and I was like I indeed I'm not Dutch <laughs> um, <laughs> my passport is Dutch I cannot deny that I have a Dutch nationality but I personally am not Dutch like I can separate the two um and they they were insisted, no, you're Dutch. <laughs> and <laughs> they needed to claim you. <laughs> and that I think that's also harmful because that's that's like wanting to accept that I I, I appreciate the side of the intention that she was trying to accept me and my people as Dutch, seeing as we are in the Dutch. Uh, kingdom and everything but at the same time by telling me straight up no you're Dutch and nothing else I feel part of my identity being erased uh, oh. because as I said my nationality is, is Dutch but I am uh, I mixed with um, indigenous uh, South Americans with Africans but maybe I have some Dutch ancestors I, I don't know because you know the, the the keeping of papers weren't always so <laughs> greatly done back then, um, 
and I, I, uh, yeah, I just don't identify at least as let's say a hundred percent Dutch, um, because I feel uh, I'm, yeah, I'm erasing all of my other. This, yeah, I, I'm a Caribbean woman first because mm. that's that's where I come from. Um, the Caribbean island that I had happened to be born on um, has some kind of relationship with the Dutch that mm. makes us have Dutch passport at birth. Mm. Uh, I learned Dutch from small, so my I think preschool um, and all of that was in Dutch. Um, but then that's the, the other thing that I was taught Dutch by someone that speaks Dutch as a second language as well. Hmm. Um, and <laughs> when I came here, I was like, I thought I spoke Dutch. Really? <laughs> not, <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure depending on where you're learning a language from, there's gonna be a lot of nuance. I, I feel like you touched on something really critical. Like as a as a broad statement, I would say that like anytime you tell someone how they identify against what they've said is like that's problematic. Like a coming from like as a queer person, like <laughs> you just don't fucking do that. Like you don't know like how who they are and where they come from like you don't you can't tell someone else how they like who they are inside and like you know what i mean like that's that's so problematic on like multiple levels cuz only you know you especially as someone who has a has a culture and heritage that's been colonized mm-hmm. like for for them to be like no you're this is like is a form of erasure and as a form of like just taking and trying to take away, whether, you know, not intentionally, but take away your, your heritage, like erase what you know of your culture. Yeah. yeah. And force you to like assimilate in like a modern way. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I think there's also an element of, I think, shame in that, um, in, in want or wanting to at least remove the shame of, oh, um, what are we doing to these islands? And we don't even recognize them um, as our own, or maybe in her community, she knows people that don't see us as such. And mm-hmm. I feel like that must be a reaction of, um, but I, yeah, I feel shame that we don't expect accept these people as such when they are in in the kingdom and maybe we should and i think she convinced herself no we should <laughs> we're not <laughs> contemplating how we would actually feel about mm. about that um and yeah as you're saying it's part of erasure and i think that is i don't know if the erasure there's something with the erasure that i wanted to go into um especially a, a hot topic now with like development work um, is that decolonization is the um, going to um, other countries thinking that you're some kind of savior uh, mm-hmm. and bringing your Western development. <laughs> you are not developed. 
sir, madam, or whatever you might identify yeah. as to not also erase queer people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and going there, and and this this teacher that I was talking about is a teacher from my like development uh, studies, and yeah, just going there, and and I think. Again, the shame, if I look at it broadly, again, this sense of shame comes up because here we are in a, a quote-unquote developed country um, studying about these people and their poverty that they're in. And <laughs> you're, you're feeling uh, shame that you, you get to have, I don't know, $3 coffees and the coffee <laughs> coming from... Uh, some impoverished nation and um there's from this sense of shame you then go there and you try to help people and I had to catch myself because now as I'm going back home um I I caught myself with this mindset that that yeah I was I I have a diploma in this so I I do somewhere in my head have to kind of remove some of the less useful things because I caught myself saying, I'm going to go back home to help them. And then I was like, wait, mm-hmm. but no, what, where is this coming from? <laughs> it's like, I, I can go back and contribute to uh, an already developing uh, island, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's, it's a much better energy to come in with. Then, then mm. oh, I've been gone for 13, 13 years. I've studied. <laughs> I know things, so I now come to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said something earlier that I think is really critical in all of this. You said, like, the that your teacher who was, like, telling you that you were Dutch, like, wasn't thinking about how you and your people would feel about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that that is kind of how that operates because it is out of shame it's like this you don't even consider what someone else might want in this and in that itself is a dehumanization because you're you're looking at someone and saying essentially i know better for you than you do i'm helping you and instead of having a conversation about it which takes relationship and takes like in in social work here you know if people actually followed it which most of them don't um, there's this concept of nothing about me without me. And I really wish that that was more implemented because that that's like, that's how relationships should work. Like we're not deciding things for and about each other without each other. And when that happens, you cause more harm than good, or you're like not taking into consideration a culture that already has incredible strengths. And instead of supporting people to develop the strengths that are already there, you're just like, but here, have free bread or whatever it's like <laughs> like, like you bread. didn't ask <laughs> it's uh it's supposed it's this idea that like because of perfectionism i think like you are you want to already know what someone needs without having to the vulnerability of saying like i don't actually know i think beautiful thing that came to mind is the question how can I be of service to you so if you're mm-hmm. coming in okay I know some things that would potentially um, alleviate whatever issue this person is having but first 
Let me ask them if they want um, um, this. Uh, yeah. What part of it do they want, um, if any? Because they can oh. also choose <laughs> to say no. Um, mm-hmm. Which is another thing is I think sometimes it it feels like these people can't even say no because how dare <laughs> they are yeah. you're poor and I'm bringing you things and I actually had for my other podcast because I have to podcast now. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, so that this is more talking about like um, on an individual level of things, personal experiences, and the other one is for my project, um, which is having to do more with like development um, mm-hmm. sector. And I was talking to someone that does um, a project called Equal Trade Alliance, and mm-hmm. he, he was talking about the paradox of poverty. Um, where in Africa has all of these riches and Africa is basically feeding most of the world <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. Africans are poor and impoverished and he left Africa not as a refugee, but as wanting to understand um, what is happening with this relationship between Europe and Africa. Mm. And in his uh, search, and I think he also studied like psychology and these things. And in his search, he found that there's an unequal relationship. Um, and, and yeah, so th- this is more on a country nation level, unequal. Um, I think how, how we can see this is manifesting this issue that mm-hmm. we're having on the micro level that we were talking about. I'll see it. It manifests mm-hmm. on a on a more um, wider scale that uh, Europe is basically taking a lot of materials, be it food or metals, uh, whatever, um, and they are not paying Africa mm-hmm. properly for the, these materials. Yet mm-hmm. they're having a substantial amount of profit on it. And with a very small percentage of this profit, they're going back to Africa and going like, here, have some aid. And then (laughs) the aid is like, the African can't even decide how they want to spend the aid because it comes with stipulations, (laughs) Mm -hmm. how they have to spend it. And then they go to the government in Africa uh in Africa and he said that the how Africa was basically cut up like a cake has to do with this because it's not according to how the Africans see Africa. Um mm. it's cut up as a, a cake and basically they said that um the government owns all the materials, the ground and these things and that's why you have this um situation that that um, Africa is constantly the paradox that it's constantly behind. There's constantly poverty um, in Africa because uh, there's constant meddling with African policy and mm. there, there's constant um, unequal trade um, happening where, as I said, they're getting a profit. So what he... he if he's trying to do is this equal trade alliance is saying no. <laughs> um, 
your you're taking our our uh, materials and you're making stuff from it and making a profit we should see some of that profit back mm-hmm. and i think um that in that situation he said that once we have more equal relationship with each other and we're actually being um compensated properly um for for our value uh the value of our materials that then we can have a much better relationship it's not like um we were suddenly stopped trading with each other or there's like no more conversation between europe and africa just becomes a more um leveled field of conversation where uh, Mm. the africans can say well you know what you have so much knowledge about this we will pay you for your knowledge Mm. yeah and yeah I, as you're describing this, I'm seeing like how how clearly this is an abusive relationship. Mm. Like that Europe and the US are like have taken advantage of and abused resources from other people. Like like that constant destabilization is the way that you control someone, right? Like you constantly make it so they don't have the time to think. They don't have the time you're you're taking all of that so that there's this like in that chaos then you're like but you don't deserve this and like you don't know what to do with this so we'll take it on like and then handing back pennies and being like we're so generous yeah you don't deserve this I'm gonna spat on the back yes I'm gonna yes. Be good <laughs> yes it's insane yes but it is that is a perfect uh correlation back to like how how that happens also in indeed um in my own abusive relationship i felt that destabilized and you know afterwards mm-hmm. when you're like really out of it and you have the time to think and you're like oh you know i was kept in a constant state of fear uh mm-hmm. i was kept in a situation where i was not financially stable enough to leave where Ironically and paradoxically, also I was paying for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, it, it is it is very yeah, I, I recognize mm-hmm. that indeed. And then I use the word that it it's sadistic in mm-hmm. a way to to constantly want to cause this chaos just to cause distraction. Um or, or just so that the Africans can really stand in their power, essentially. Um, mm. Yeah, and then that that threatens white supremacy. Yes, because that because you can't be su- supreme if there's equality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and yeah, and like there's indeed no other explanation for me than than that because that other. Mm. The alternative where there's actually more abundance, where actually I think Europe um, can actually profit more if Africa can say, well, you don't have to give us aid. We're paying you now. for You're getting more money. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the fascinating thing is like the, the the abuser is operating out of this like 
absolute terror and fear that there's not enough. When ultimately they would have their needs met better if the other person were not abused because there's so much resource in that person. That's why the abuser is there because they need the resource. They're there because they're like, there's never enough. And oh my God, I found this, this person or this country or this place or this thing that has so much goodness. I'm going to take as much as I can because I'm afraid that I don't have any on my own. And then they don't realize that, like you said, if, if, if this was equal, there's so much to go around. There's so much, there's so much resource that you've just been hoarding that is making you think you don't have enough when you really have more than enough. And I think that also perfectly sums up the, the, capitalistic system where yes yeah. <laughs> you're you're yeah. creating this sense of lack this sense mm-hmm. of there's not enough um so you must buy it now because next week we don't have this sale anymore <laughs> you know yes oh my god yeah urgency that i mean and that is like that is another form of destabilization right we're operating off of people's nervous systems that are overwhelmed and fried. And so sales is then like tailored to taking advantage of people who are in destabilized states. Wow. We've come like a full circle. (laughs) 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 But we got there. (laughs) A couple of rabbit trails. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's, absolutely true and i i think once we start dismantling this system not even dismantling i think some would say after dismantling and like rebuild um but i think it has to be a transition because if if you if you like dismantle it it's like complete chaos which is (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we don't want we've seen that happen yeah with you know countries and it's, I mean, they have beautiful governments now, but the, the price to get there was yeah costly. Exactly. So, and I think we can do that better and we can like, or there's a better way to do it. Like, but, you know, like we can do it better. <laughs> <laughs> better way of doing it than complete chaos. We can um, start looking at uh, the systems that are not working, whether it being like inter- relationship like on 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 a uh, more personal level like the day-to-day relationships that you have with other people or at, at a bigger level where maybe companies start saying well the way we're operating now is very destructive and mm-hmm. uh, not sustainable and we don't see ourselves um, surviving in the future like this mm-hmm. um, so let's start changing that that way now sooner than later <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes what are maybe your final thoughts on that oh yeah i mean the, the state of the united states right now is pretty scary in terms of um in terms of that like i i do and always have thought like that you know, I mean, my emotional side is like, tear it all down. But my like logical side is like, 
and like we need a we need a stable transition we need a leader who cares about people we need like somebody who's non-binary like whether gender or like neutral we just need someone who actually can uphold the good of everyone and the way things have been going makes me really nervous that that's not happening but also like but also the things that I hear from people individually and in communities is really heartwarming. So there's a very, there's a very big disconnect. And I think that's true in, in most places. There's like a pretty big disconnect from the people to, to the people who have power. And I, I think like, I don't know, I think of the, the movie of, is it Bug's Life? This is, oh. this was like one of my childhood movies, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we forget how many of us there are and we forget our power like that in general I feel like that is something that happens because we have been beat beat on by the system so we tend to forget the resources and the riches we have within ourselves and within our communities um and and not just not to say that's our fault at all I just, I think there is right now a collective awakening to our individual and communal power and in caring for one another that is like, I don't know, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I really, I really hope that those of us who have an open heart and who continue to try and continue to learn will be the ones who are leading whatever happens next. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too. And there was like, the things that popped up as you were saying let me see if I can remember <laughs> them um one was that I think that this disconnect that you're saying is that um let's say people that are pretty self-serving um as it's most of the people in power right now um they don't quit so they don't let like one failure stop them they'll try again until they get their policy in and a lot of times us um people that are as you said um open-hearted and um want actually good and by very idealistically world peace (laughs) um yes we we tend to with one punch already be like oh this is exhausting and then with the second punch we're like maybe never mind (laughs) (laughs) we're not gonna win and i think that is a mindset that that has to change amongst us uh that community Mm. that sees a, a, a better way of doing things that is more um in relation uh with one of other uh as you were saying and more uh harmonious with with people and and with the planet and we have to we have to continue yeah with the same um <laughs> conviction that with mm. that these people with that are kind of like looking out for themselves we have to look out for each other and continue doing so um and i also don't know what's gonna happen but i i hope that by doing so we can think actually get somewhere <laughs> yeah i i kind of wonder even in hearing you say that i'm like so the the phrase um i believe it's Audre lord like the the master's tools will never dismantle dismantle the master's house i believe is the quote um 
but it's like this concept of like if you want to like restructure this like you can't do it the same way that they've done building it and I think a lot of the time we go into like we're gonna do it like they do it and then we get worn out because they have more money or a different kind of access to be doing it the way they're doing it I think the way that we do this has to be rooted in the way that we want it to end up, which is a sustainable way, a communal way, a way that we are all bringing our individual gifts and talents in a sustainable way to really create something different. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) We could probably talk about this for forever. We could talk about it forever, but maybe it's down the line you'll come back and we can this sounds great <laughs> I doubt I'm the Caribbean uh, <laughs> but yes. I had fun um, talking to you about this about self-love self-relationship I think we actually talked a lot about uh, interconnectedness of like mm. uh, how we feel on an individual level and the traumas and how that's affecting all of the systems because I remember yeah. I, I did a climate coach training in uh, June and they we, uh, we were doing an exercise and they separated like states and companies and blah, 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 and the individual people. And my comment was, well, it's all people. <laughs> There's, it's all human mm-hmm. systems, human made uh the government is human made the <laughs> the companies are human it's all humans operating that so um mm. there is definitely an interconnect a con- interconnectedness that um if we start healing individually and communally i think that will indeed reflect in how we do companies or, or businesses i don't know if they'll exist i'm putting it with a question mark but whatever will replace it um I, yeah i think that that starts with us individually healing um and then radiating that healing out to our community yeah. and then having like communal healing healing and then it will reflect in our systems because the systems we have right now is indeed um heavily focused on on this lack on fear it's very fearful system mm-hmm. fear of yeah. in fear of not being the best um fear of not being good enough uh, it's just a lot of fear um mm-hmm. i think we need to clear that okay i've been Clearing fear stays <laughs> um, mm. in my energy bubble, um, and I, I really start start to recognize that a lot of what we do is out of fear, um, and yeah, that uh, yeah. brings that. I think to some extent, even the shame falls somewhere on the <laughs> fear. Yes, spectrum. Um, but yeah, it, it, <laughs> for us not to go into a, a different <laughs> thing, I'm gonna cut it here. You're welcome to come back, and we'll like do a, a full digestion of fear. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Thanks for having me, for joining again, and for uh, those who listen to us. Um, sidetracking but then getting on the right track again thank you <laughs> and uh, until next time on the Talk Pollination Podcast
Thank you.